Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, this is going to hurt. Is that the way you should start a sermon? Yeah, this is going to hurt a little bit. Boy, don't you love Peter? Impetuous, foot in mouth, follower of Christ, declaring his undying love for the Lord, telling the Lord what he should and shouldn't do, including, remember, he told him, I don't think it's a good idea, Lord, that you should march to the cross. And Jesus said, well, get behind me, Satan. I mean, think about this. What a life. A fisherman called out of a, a good business to come and follow the Lord and just, you know, like many of us do, depend upon our love for him. That's why I read you that this morning. To live life. Oh, yes, we should have love for him. Let's, let's, let's do that and let's obey him. But, but, but depending on our love for him instead of depending and resting in his love for us, it's real subtle, but it's real important. And his love for the Lord, as he slams his fist on the table and said, I'd never do anything to leave you or forsake you. I, I'd die for you, Lord, and within hours. In the most critical time of our Lord and Savior's life, Peter becomes what we would consider a failure. He failed. And yet, isn't it interesting at the last chapter of the book of John, he goes, the Lord does, and he doesn't just go talk to him. Hey, I need to talk to you. There's something I need to discuss with you. He cooks him breakfast. Think of it. He, he, he comforts him. He restores him with all the other guys. He, he makes them breakfast. He's up there on the shore, you know, doing the thing that he needs to do to get the breakfast ready and calls them. And, and then you know the story. He restores Peter. And all these things, see, are going through his mind and heart and soul as he writes this book, which he knows these people, even though they live not in Italy where Rome was, they know that suffering and persecution are going to spread to the Roman provinces of which this letter is written to. You can see it in the first verse there of the first chapter. And we've followed it through, have we not? There's some key, really key themes in here. Hope. Not, you know, uh, I, I talked about hope one time in a sermon about a year ago. And... This isn't the, we describe this. It's not like, oh man, I hope that comes to pass. Wow, I hope. I hope the Steelers win today. I know the Buckeyes will win today. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I hope the Buckeyes win today or whatever. That's our hope. You know, we hope for things. That's not this hope. The hope of First Peter is a confident assurance that it will come to pass. That's hope. And we've been studying that. And grace that's another big issue or theme of this. And salvation of this letter. We've been uh, reading that. And now we've, uh, you know, it's like Peter has shifted into a different gear and we're talking about suffering. Let's just throw this out here for a minute. Why do people suffer? Well, I don't have all the answers. 
But one reason people suffer is because we live in a fallen world. People, things happen. Accidents happen. I mean, you know, whatever you call it. I mean, you're going to go out here and, you know, I don't know, the guy was looking on his, you know, text uh, or something or other, and he, I mean, or, or um, you know, there's sickness in the world, and things just sometimes happen. But also, sometimes we suffer, listen to this, because we reap what we sow. What was that old 70s sitcom, The Devil Made Me Do It? Well, there's some people in the church that say the devil made me do it all the time, when it's really we reap what we sow. I mean, I've got heart disease in my family, right? And if I eat cheeseburgers every day of my life for the, you know, and then I get to the end and I say, oh, Lord, why didn't you help me here? Well, I'm reaping what I sow here. It's the best way I can think of to tell you that. It's not God's fault that I stuffed cheeseburgers down my throat for 40 years, right? And it caused heart disease. So, so we reap what we sow. And then sometimes, right, we suffer because the enemy of our souls sends things against us. Of course, right? But through all of these things, by the way, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, he chastens us because he loves us. So could it be sometimes when we mistake suffering or uh, interchange suffering and tribulation, could it be sometimes that God's trying to get our attention? You see it? So you've got to be very careful what you're saying about suffering. And what a time to talk about suffering. Here we are. Oh, by the way, uh, he's going to give us another reason. We particularly suffer. And it's a blessing when we suffer this way. It's when we do things in the name of Christ and people revile us for it. Sometimes we suffer. And for these particular people, he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. So he writes this out. And last week, we got into that place where we were uh, at the middle of uh, chapter 3, where we talked about suffering for right and wrong, and now we come to the place where we um, are going to be uh, continuing on with suffering in verse 1 of chapter 4. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 11, and then we'll talk about it, okay? So follow along with me. 1 Peter, not 1 John. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of the time, or rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime, oh my, is that true for me? and I bet for you too, in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. I mean, is the Bible like real or what? 
I thought when I picked this thing up when I was a kid that I was reading some holier-than-thou book that never talked about anything like that. And when I got to things like this, I was like, whoa, wait a second. The Bible makes you come face-to-face with who you are without Christ. Here it is. All of these things, in regard to these, verse 4, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation. What a way to say it. Speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge both the living and the dead, or the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. But the end of all things is at hand. <laughs> Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Boy, do we need that this month and always. I'm tempted to... go off on that right now but we'll wait be hospitable to one another without grumbling (laughs) as each one has received a gift minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God I hope we have some car people in here we're going to need you if anyone speaks let him speak as the oracles of God if anyone ministers let him do it as with the ability which God supplies and in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen Now we have the Holy Spirit and thank the Lord because I can't imagine two more difficult pieces of scripture in all of the Bible than chapter 3 18 and on And this right here, verse 6. So let's dive in and let's see if we can make some sense of it. Well, therefore, what is he talking about? He's talking about suffering. And we talked, there's different types of suffering. There's different types of suffering. And there's myriad of circumstances, aren't there? Uh, There's physical suffering. Lots of you are going through right now, by the way, by the way, by the way. We're going to be praying in person here, 7 o'clock, Fellowship Hall. We're going to be lifting up those people in prayer. Uh, You're welcome to come, 7 o'clock. But there's physical suffering, right? There's uh, also emotional and spiritual suffering, correct? I mean, when a relationship that's really important to you goes south or is on the fritz or however you want to say it is bad. Maybe it's a child that's walked away from you or your family or something of that nature. That's heavy, man. Is that heavy? Or maybe um, uh, people are wronging you at work or at school and you don't even feel like you fit in and you, you almost feel like you're being tortured or at work, it doesn't have to be at school, or at work or anywhere, you're just, you just feel like you're being tortured. You, you, I, I can remember some times in my life when things were tough at school, like I couldn't even hardly go to sleep at night because I didn't want to get up in the morning because I knew what was going to happen. Those two people who were called my parents were going to make me go. Anybody relate to that or work? And there's, there's a million different circumstances of how and why we can suffer. Financially, we can suffer. And there's all kinds of things. 
Here, in verse 1, he ties it back by saying, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, that's what he did. He suffered for us. He was a real man. Fully man, fully God. He was really a man. He suffered for us in the flesh. It tells you something here. It's a military term. This is a military term. Arm yourself. It's like grab up your weapons. Anything that's available to you as a Christian, grab them. That's what he's saying right here. And make sure you have them. And it's kind of surprising in the middle of suffering. Lord, why are you so concerned with this issue? And he is. He's really concerned with this issue that you might not even consider in suffering. He's uh, uh, concerned with your Christ-likeness. He's concerned with sin. You see, sin is devastating. Of course, the Lord has paid for our sins, past, present, and future, And positionally, we are in Christ and have access to God the Father by the Son. Of course that is. But sins can still devastate the Christian if we dabble in it, if we let it to hang around. It can separate. It can destroy. Like, for instance, let's just say, I I pick on me, but I feel sorry for my wife, but... Let's just say I got into some snap or chat thing or something at work with another lady. And you know, it's, it's harmless. I mean, she's doing the same job I'm doing and I'm doing the same job she's doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're just kind of harmlessly chatting. And the next thing you know, emotionally, we get tied together. And I don't know, maybe my boss finds it or discovers it. And you know, the Bible says I'm to be devoted to one lady. And, and, and um, uh, let's say an affair happens or something, and, and my boss finds it out through these, and you know, I've dabbled in it. It was just harmless. I was talking to her about going to court and doing things in court, and the next thing you know, boom, Affair. It'd be devastating, I think. I would hurt a lot of people. (laughs) Right? I would hurt my family, my wife, my kids. And then I think, and I'm not saying I'm any great shakes. I'm just your lead servant here. But I think it'd probably hurt lots of you too. It can be devastating. It can be devastating. And here he says, and and there's a million different circumstances that I could talk about. He says, arm yourself. Arm yourself with what? Well, he tells you. He says, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Do you know this? If you don't know this, you should know this, that the New Testament tells us that we have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to the mind of Christ. We, We, how do we do it? We read God's word. We understand as best as we can, as the Holy Spirit reveals to us God's Word. But we're not just reading the Bible to find out facts and figures and history. We're, finding, or we're reading it to discover the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're coming into communion with Him, where we walk with Him and we talk with Him. And He 
shows us things and we love him in response to all the love he's shown us. And because of that, we become into the family of God. That's one beautiful thing. We get salvation, but then he puts us in his family. And I don't know if you remember this, but just like our dad, verse or chapter 1, verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also will be holy in your, all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God's after you and I to look like him. You know what I'm saying, right? To be holy, like he is holy. You're a called out one. You're a separated one. And guess what? Sin destroys all of that. And think about the witness I would have if that happened at work, right? So he says, arm yourself like a military person with the same mind. What was the mindset? He was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He was the propitiation, the sacrifice that gave us access back to God. When He could have walked away, he didn't walk away, and he was an innocent person. He didn't do anything wrong. So he marched to the cross, set his face towards Jerusalem. It was a decision, listen, to eradicate, in a sense, to pay the penalty for sin so that we could have access to God. And we obviously don't do that. Jesus did that. But we should have the same attitude towards sin as Christ does. He hates it. And so should we. And see, the problem is, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think we hate sin in American church. Oh, we say we do. But I think what we think sometimes is, yeah, but he paid for it. So now I can do what I want. I can, come on. Listen, my wife's asleep. I can look. Who will know? Or whatever. There can be a million things. Who's going to know if I uh, cheat on my taxes? Well, one person in here would. Our tax accountant. (laughs) But who would know? Who's going to know if you steal all the pads and no pens from work? No, they don't have cameras in my uh, in in uh, our uh, what is it equipment room or stock room? They don't have cameras. Who's going to know? What's it going to harm? The Lord's just saying here in all these things, I want you to arm yourself with the same mind. I want you to be, here's what the Lord's saying. I want you to be militant about sin. Militant. Not cruise with it. Not put on your beach sandals and your sunglasses and just say, yeah, I'm a cool Christian. And yet, but dally, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Huh? Yeah, dabble in it. There we go. I couldn't think of it. Long night. Dabble in it. We dabble in it, right? Just a little bit here and a little bit there. He says, arm yourself with the same mind, for he has suffered in the flesh. Look at this. He ceased from sin. So wait a minute. There's this thing about suffering that helps us with sin. By the way, you're not going to stop sinning totally, until you're in glory, right? But, 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 but here he says that 
This suffering for you, like Christ, this suffering for you has an impact on sin. For Christ, he wiped it out. For us, listen to this, suffering, catch it, causes us to lose our attitude towards sin that's cavalier. It causes us to lose our cavalier attitude towards sin. No, when you suffer and you get stripped away of everything you have, you come back to what's important. By the way, we're doing it in a pandemic. Everything we have, all the idols, everything, and, and, and you suffer and you, you can't do this and you can't do that. You appreciate this more and hear the Lord saying, arm yourself with the mind of Christ so that you can cease from sin. But let me just read you something so you know. You lose your grip on sin, but there's also something that's happened to you, a spiritual transaction that's happened to you that we talk about every time we baptize somebody. Turn over to Romans 6. What shall we say then, verse 1 says? Well, no, 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 we'll start in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. You catching that? When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, counted on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection, a lot of things happen. One of them is there was this judicial, holy judicial decree that you're not guilty anymore. But also something happened is you said that you wanted to identify with Christ. That's why it's important that you get baptized after you surrender your life to Christ. You're publicly declaring and pledging to the world that these transactions have happened in your life, all because of the Lord. Here he says, you, when you become a Christian, are united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Oh, praise the Lord. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see that? Our position, our theological position is we're no longer slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Oh, praise God. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here it comes. This is why I read you this whole thing. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. That's what you are, alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I read you this whole thing for this verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. That's amazing. So when we go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, you'll understand that a little more. Not only does suffering make us lose our grip or be cavalier about sin. You know what I'm saying? No, wait a minute. Hold on here. God's purifying, doing something in my life. God's doing something in my life. Well, not only is he doing that, but there's a spiritual transaction that's taking place, and you can read about it in Romans 6.14. Now, that's a good beep or ring. I like that ring. 
That's a good ring, Donna. That's okay. No problem. No problem. Okay, so that you should no longer live, uh, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh. Check that out. Mark, mark under rest of the time. At the beginning of this pandemic, guess what you and I and we talked about? Redeeming the time. Here, Peter picks up on that same theme. He says, he's going to tell you here in a minute, and I'm convinced, and you can say, well, they've been saying that since the time that they wrote this letter, but that the Lord is coming back soon. So the rest of the time, the rest of the time, what should we be doing? Here he tells you. As we cease from sin and we're militant about the sin in our life. Time out. By the way, i got to go on a rabbit trail. Oh, 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 gosh, I'm causing the IT people consternation. <laughs> I have to stay in view, see? They've put a leash on me here. <laughs> you see him jump up, man. You see him jump up back there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, too much. But time out here. I think we don't talk about revival in the right way. See, in the church today, when we say revival, you know what we say? Oh, man, I hope there's a whole bunch of great excitement at the church, and the church starts growing, and people start coming to know the Lord, and that's good stuff, but it ain't revival. None of that's revival. Revival is a cleansing. If you study all major revivals, they all started with prayer and repentance from sin inside the church, not outside the church. So if you're watching the TV and you're screaming at that, why could you, we need revival. Well, you're not talking to the right person. You should be talking to yourself. Because here's why. God's serious about sin, and he wants to do something magnificent. And I'm convinced, I really am, I'm convinced he wants to uh, have a spiritual awakening, not revival. Well, he does want to have revival. But he wants to have a spiritual awakening right up and down the Mon Valley. I'm convinced of it. But in order for that to happen, as you study other movements, you see that the Christians get serious about sin. They don't just pat it on the head anymore. And they weep over their sin, and they want to be holy as their Father in heaven is holy. And they're on their knees, and they're crying out to the Lord, do something in me, not pointing the fingers at others, you see. That's real revival. Spiritual awakening is the first thing I talked about. But spiritual awakening mostly happens when there's been revival in the church. And here Peter talks about it. Okay, back to it. So the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of the men. In other words, don't waste your time having desires that are outside my desires, the Lord said. This lust right here doesn't just necessarily mean sex. It can mean lusts for other things. How about this? I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing great in your job. In fact, you should do great in your job. You should do great in your job as a worship unto the Lord and a witness to others. You should be the best worker at your place. But if you are working to climb the corporate ladder so you can have two jets and golf courses and go to Aspen every weekend, you got problems. You're, you're desiring something that's not what God has for you. 
You see? His desire is that you would take up your cross daily and lay down your life for him, bear fruit that glorifies the Father. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're a corporate guy, that's it. If you're a corporate gal, that's it. If you're, uh, you know, you work for waste management and you go up and down in the truck, which is a wonderful job, if you do that, that's the same thing for you too. So the rest of the time, don't waste it. Don't waste it in the flesh for the lust of men. But listen to this. Find out what the will of God is and be there. Be there. Be where the will of God is. God's, God's uh, yoke is light, folks. It's not burdensome. Oh, yes, Christian life is hard sometimes. You suffer. We're going to learn about it. You're going to suffer. He says you're going to. You're going to be picked on for your faith. You're going to be picked on for your faith. So what? But we still have this communion with the Lord that's so sweet and beautiful. <laughs> Psalm 63 tells us God's loving kindness is better than life. And I don't think they're stretching it there. So the rest of the time, you're going to serve the will of God. You're going to do the will of God. For, right? Isn't this funny? Peter writing exactly what I would write in my story? Because I spent enough time in my past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. And here that just means somebody outside uh, uh, of the family of God, right? When we walked in lewdness, you know what that is. I don't even have to explain it. When we walked in lusts when we walked in drunkenness, when we walked in revelries, I got to tell you, this used to be my life. Every Friday and Saturday night. Then I'd go to church and say, Lord, I'll never do it again. And then Wednesday night, I'd do it again. Then Friday night, I'd do it again. Then Saturday night, I'd do it again. Then Sunday, I'd get up and say, Lord, I'll never do it again. Anybody relate? Yeah, I could relate. Sometimes I didn't even go up and say, Lord, I won't do it again. I just said, I'm going to keep doing it. Isn't that awful? And drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. It's like he's writing it in today's jocular language. Isn't that funny? You don't run with them. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting. You can say you're religious. You could say you're a Methodist. You could say you're a, uh, you know, a Calvary Chapelite. Or you could say you're you know, Catholic or whatever. You, and no one bothers you. Whatever. And then say you're a Christian. Now you bring Christ into it. You bring Christ into it, right? And what happens? People say, oh man, no, you're kidding me. Are you serious? You're, this is a phase you're going through. You'll be back. And what's really interesting is when, think about it, when people clean up their lives, well, actually the Lord cleans them up, but you know what I mean, when they start doing the right thing, when they stop, you know, getting drunk every Friday and Saturday night, when they stop, you know, playing the numbers, when they, you know, whatever, uh, stop looking at pornography. Isn't it weird how the world is? The world says, what's wrong with you? It's amazing, Right? And here, Peter lays it out under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. They will do these things. They're going to think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation. And they're even going to speak evil of you. Evil. But Jesus told us, blessed are those who are reviled for your faith. Now, you don't go out there and, you know, just, you know, Monday morning at the corporate office, just take the book and just start whoo, 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 whacking people. No, it's going to happen supernaturally natural. 
You're going to be there, and you're going to be doing your work well, and uh, you know, you're going to go out to lunch someday, and some guys are going to be there, and you're going to bow your head, and these guys are going to look at you like, what is wrong with him or her? What's wrong with her? And they're going to think it, and then maybe later they're going to ask you about it, and then you're going to tell them, and they're, they're going to talk to other people behind your back. He, he's gone off the deep end. He's a born-again Christian. You know, you know this, right? You know the whole routine. And they're going to start speaking evil of you. And they might do it for a long time. But if you're faithful and prayerful and consistent and loving and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and even when you make mistakes, ask for forgiveness or admit your mistakes, that's rare in corporate world or any world. Listen, someday those same people who are speaking evil of you are going to have something happen in their life. Guaranteed. And they're going to come to you and say, hey, this happened. Will you pray for me? It might be four years, five years if the Lord tarries, but it'll happen. They're going to speak evil of you. But our attitude here, look what our attitude should be towards those who speak evil of our, us. Look at this. Look what our attitude should be. See, when I first started reading this book, I was like, yes, for verse 5. They're going to give an account. That's how I viewed this verse. But see, Peter doesn't view this verse that way. He's saying, no, remember something here. They're going to give an account like you're going to give an account for your life. And so keep reaching for them and keep loving for them. Keep speaking to them. Keep being a great worker where you are. Keep being responsible. Keep being loving. Keep inviting them in. Keep on doing it because they will give an account to him. He's the judge, the great judge. He's coming again in his second coming to judge Here's another timeout. We're currently on Wednesday nights going through the book of Isaiah. We're going fast for me. And we're almost halfway through. And when we get done, we're going to go through Revelation on Wednesday nights. So if you want to come for that, and we're going to cover all of these things, but but I want you to know, and Peter wants you to know, that your heart towards them is not, oh my goodness, they're speaking evil. My, my natural inclination is, I'm telling you, when somebody speaks evil of me without the Lord in my life, whew, it's going around in my head. I don't know how, but I'm going to get them. That's what I think, without the Lord. And here he says, no, remember, there's judgment this is serious business. This isn't about you or me. It's not about us. They're, they're going to give an account, and so are you. What? You're going to give an account? Of course you're going to give an account. You're going to be at the Bema Seat judgment. You could look in 2 Corinthians 5. But for those outside of Christ, they're going to be at the Great White Throne judgment, Revelation 20. And we don't want anybody to be at the Revelation 20 Great White Throne judgment. So until we have this the time that the Lord comes back. Until that time, it's the rest of the time. Let's not waste it, right? That's what he's saying your attitude should be towards people who are evil, who speak evil of you even for doing good. Oh, my. I say to myself when I hear that, I can't do it. And the Lord says, I know. That's why you want to yield to my spirit so I can do it in and through you. And as you participate with me, you choose to love people who are even difficult, who even speak evil 
of you. That's radical love. Do you want to know what the quote-unquote cure is for this world? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So keep going with me. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, uh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now listen, people since this book was written have been debating this verse. What does it mean? Well, I wish Peter were here to tell us. No, I'm kidding. But there's so many different theories. Remember one theory we talked about was that um, uh, last week is that uh, Jesus went, there's one theory that Jesus went into the two compartments that you can find in Luke 16. Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, who didn't treat the poor man very well, was in the part of Abraham's bosom that's uh, called Hades. The temporary resting place of the dead. But Abraham and the um, poor guy were in uh, part of Abraham's bosom was that the, um, uh, for the believing dead, right? We talked about that. And that Jesus, one theory is, chapter 3, in between his death and resurrection, didn't go down to preach the gospel to these people, but declare victory in Hades and to make it complete. And you can read the tape about that or listen to the tape about that. Here we have something similar. We have all over the map. Some people believe what this means is that the gospel was preached also in the compartment above Hades, if you want to say that, to the believing dead, to the believing dead, right? And that they weren't given a second chance or anything uh, like that, but it was their completion of salvation. It was the completion of salvation of those who had been faithful to God under their first chance under the Old Testament. Some people believe that. Some people, like Warren Wearsby, say this. I'm just going to read it to you because I can't do any better. Some people believe verse 6 means this. We must not interpret 1 Peter 4, 6 apart from the context of suffering. That kind of makes sense, right? Otherwise, we'll get the idea that there's a second chance for salvation. And we know under Hebrews 9, 27, there is no second chance once you pass from this life. You're appointed once to die and then the judgment. Remember? Peter was reminding his readers in uh, verse, or chapter 4, verse 6, of the Christians who had been martyred for their faith. So if you go back here and read, it says, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. You could help yourself if you believe that theory by putting already dead. He's just speaking of the ones who are already dead, the martyred ones for their faith. They had been falsely judged by men, but now in the presence of God, they received their true judgments. Them that are dead means them that are now dead at the time that Peter was writing the gospel is preached only to the living. Here's what I get out of both of these and all of these. Is that in Philippians, you know, I often wonder, how could it be that at every knee, tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord? <laughs> Even above the earth and under the earth. Go read it. It says it there. Well, I think these scriptures are getting at that. His gospel has been declared everywhere. <laughs> and he's perfectly just 
and he moves forward in that, and you have to be a Berean right here. You understand? You need to search the Scriptures and come to a place because this is a very difficult Scripture. But one thing is, one thing is, is in the midst of suffering, in the midst of suffering, whoever these people are, they're judged righteously and fairly. That's what I think this verse is saying. Well, keep going on. The end of all things is at hand. But the end of all things is at hand. Oh, sorry. The end of all things is at hand. The kingdom of, remember Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's closer than you think is what he was saying. Jesus was saying, you think the kingdom's something like up there. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in your heart. You are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. But now you come and you look at this, and Peter was impacted by that. What a great phrase, because the end of time, the end of all things is at hand. In other words, it's closer than you think. Now you say to yourself, well, this was written when Peter was alive. Yeah, it was. But remember, to the Lord, 1,000 years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. I mean, that time is nothing to him. And so what has the Lord been doing for all this time? He's gracefully been pouring out his gospel and his spirit so that many will be come into the kingdom. But there's coming a day when he's going to come back to the earth and rule and reign, but he's going to do it in judgment. <clears throat> and so we need to know how to live. So, so listen, Oh, I was about ready to go off on something. and Anyway, but the end of all things is his hand. Therefore, listen, be serious. This actually kind of means like keep your sanity. It doesn't mean anything about mental health. But what it means is, is uh, 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 the end of all things is at hand. If the end of all things that is at hand and you're living in the light of the return of Jesus Christ, which we read this morning in Foundations of Faith, if we live in that light, we get a crown just watching and waiting for him. But this tells you how. Do you see? How do I live as a Christian, filled up with the Holy Spirit until he comes back? Well, you better be serious. In, in other words, keep your sanity. It doesn't mean mental health. What it means is, is be on an even keel. I always tell you this story. I love, I love to go to coffee places and study. Oh, man, I love doing that. It's just something I love to do. You know, you just, everybody's in there, and you just see that one table back there. You're like, yes, it's got a plug it's away from the teenagers. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. No, you know what I'm saying. And it's that table. And you get back there and you get all your books out and you plop your computer down there and that table goes like this. Bonk, 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 bonk. You're like, oh. And you put, you know, you put the paper under there. You do everything. Nothing works. You just, it's unstable. See, the Lord doesn't want our life to be like that. The Lord wants it. Boom. Solid. And in our life, he's not calling that we can't joke around and laugh and do that sort of things, but he's saying have a serious approach to life. When you get up to work tomorrow, tomorrow, please don't do this. Don't put something on Facebook that you hate to go to work on Mondays. Don't do that. I can't even think of a worse witness than that. I can't. Because the Lord's given you a job. 
and a place to go and do hard work and a place to earn money and a place where he's going to witness to other people and you and I complain for all the world to see that we have. That's, that's unbelievable to me. He says, be serious about life. Be serious about it. Be stable. Be, be one who's, who's thought-provoking, even in your work. Make people un, uh, uh, see you and question what makes you tick. And then you have serious answers for serious questions. You're purposeful, and you don't drift. You don't, you're not this. And you exercise restraint. You aren't always, oh, yeah, let's do that. No, you think about it. You pray about it. You're the one that people can depend on, not impulsive. You have good judgment. Ten times Paul told uh, uh, the people uh, in the New Testament to be serious and sober. This is an important uh, thing. And then be watchful in your prayers. Living in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ ought to send you to the prayer meeting. Because many of you, just like me, have people in your life you love so much, and they don't know the Lord. Or many of you have coworkers at, at work, and they don't know the Lord. And here he's saying your prayer life ought to be bountiful. And i got to tell you, folks, in my life, the hardest thing I do is pray. i got so many things to do. And here he says, living in the light is, ought to drive you to prayer. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Fervent there is a word that means like stretching out. And it's interesting because it even can be used for like a big, strong horse who's galloping. And he's stretching out his muscles or her muscles, whatever, the muscles. And so what this says is that it's... Love is, yes, you have some nice feelings, but love is stretching out for people. And love is purposeful. It's sometimes you don't even like the person. You get what I'm saying? And the Lord's calling you to love them. And he's saying, you got to be purposeful in this. Is this the message for this time? For people who don't look like you, be purposeful. Listen to them. Give them your ear. You don't always have to tell them every point of theology every time you sit down with them. How about just mourn with them? How about just love them? How about just listen to them? Stretch out for them. Go find them and be purposeful, he says. That's what he says here. And for goodness sakes, sometimes people make mistakes. Newsflash. Love covers a multitude of sins. Relax. You don't have to put every person on the planet in their place. That's what the Lord does. Of course, we tell truth. Of course, where there's an appropriate time to tell the truth. And I'm not saying cover up the truth. I'm just saying no one's going to listen to you if they don't think you care about them. Here he says, relax. People are going to make mistakes. They might even sin. Guess what? You sin too. And love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, following this thought, be hospitable. Is it any coincidence that hospitable has hospital in it? See, in this culture, hosp hospitality was big because they would travel and be itinerant people. They, were, they didn't have hotels. Did you know that? No Motel 6s. No Hyatt's. 
They didn't have any of that, so they stayed in people's homes. The early church for several hundred years, a couple hundred years, no church. They were in homes. You know one of the great blessings of being the pastor is? When I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, we had such and such over for dinner Friday. You're like, ah, that's it. That's it. Be hospitable to one another. But listen, if you're going to do it with grumbling, don't do it. Don't grumble about it. <laughs> we had a home fellowship for years. I got to tell you, there were some times we were grumbling. Kids, your rooms are completely a wreck. And you'd spend all day cleaning and getting it because, you know, you spent all week trashing it. And then the people would get there, hey, how you doing? Here he says, no, don't, don't do that. Do, why is he saying that? Because the things that you do... If you think you're doing them for people, you kind of are, but ultimately you're doing them for him. So if you're grumbling, you're really just saying, God, why do you have me doing this stuff? Be hospitable. And then as to each one received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, real quickly, I'm just going to read this to you, and then we're going to close. In Romans 12... Verse 3, it says this, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, verse 3, Romans 12, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one. Isn't that interesting? It's like a theme, right? A measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Do you know what? Not all of you are called to preach. Some of you think I wasn't called to preach. That's okay. But we're a body, folks, and if we're going to have revival, which is cleansing, and spiritual awakening, we all must be pulling, rowing the oars in the same direction for the glory of God. We don't have the same functions, so we being many are one body and individually members of one another, having then gifts different according to the grace that is given. The gifts are given by grace. They're not manufactured. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhort in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. Then you could go over to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You could see the spiritual gifts. You could see those. Those are more the office gifts. But whatever, those gifts you are to be using. You're to use your gift. If you're hiding your gift, I have to tell you something. You're disobeying the Lord. And if you're not using it for the body's purposes so that we can go out and share to a hurting and dark world, uh, you're being disobedient. That's, what else can I say? So if the Lord's given you an amazing ability to clean toilets, go for it. Set up chairs, go for it. Do IT, go for it. Whatever he's doing, use your gifts. Don't hide them under a bushel. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another. Help the body grow. Be healthy. As good stewards, plug in. If you don't have a place to plug in here, I'm just saying, I'm not saying this because I'm the pastor. I'm saying because it's in the Bible. Plug in so that you can serve and help the body and be a blessing. And you're going to be a good steward. I love this. This is why I talked about car guys. We have some car guys in here. I know nothing about cars. All I know is I get in and start it, and it works somehow. 
That's all I know. But I think, think I said this in one sermon before. I think what a manifold is, I'm looking for help. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think what a manifold is, it's an air delivery system to different places of the car. Am I wrong? <laughs> See, I told you, the two manifolds. So, but, but it's a delivery system. But if, that's, if I'm wrong in the car stuff, I'm not wrong here. What God is saying is there's multiple different ways in which the grace of God is delivered to people. And it ain't just by this person back here. It's by all of us. Isn't that beautiful? It actually means many colored, many faceted. That's what you're to be doing as stewards. God's given you a gift. If you're not using it to bless the body, you're disobeying. Okay, Rachel, get the sign up for all the ministries back there. But anyway, I'm kidding. Finish out. If anyone speaks or talks or does minister or a teaching, let him speak as if the oracles of God. It's not that the person who's speaking up here is infallible. You surely know that by now. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to hear from the Lord and deliver to you what the scriptures say according to the throne of heaven. Not that he's infallible. He's not. He makes mistakes. Not everything he says is right. If you're up here 52 weeks a year, you're going to say some wrong things, folks. Trust me, I know. And you guys let me know, so that's good. <clears throat> but anyway, he's to be a minister. And then, listen, in all things, or let him do it, or if anyone ministers, so whatever you do in the church, let him or her do it as with the ability which God supplies. Isn't that beautiful? So if you're in charge of the chair ministry, let's just say you are, and you say to the chair ministry team, I want you to show up here 5 o'clock Friday, and we'll put the chairs back. And you get here and you unlock the door, and just like a lot of times happens, nobody shows up. You're going to know right away whether you're doing it in the Spirit of the Lord or not in the Spirit of the Lord. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to, just under your breath, you're just going to blast those four who should have been here, right? You call them all certain, can you believe this? Who are they to let me just whistle in the wind out here? Or you might just say, oh, that's okay. The Lord's called me to it, I'm going to do it. You're going to find out whether you're ministering in the Spirit of the Lord or you're ministering according to your own spirit. It's an easy test. Uh, we fail at that sometimes. When we do, we just ask the Lord for forgiveness, move on. That in all things, God, what, why are we doing what we do in the church? Whether uh, you make bulletins, whether you play that keyboard, whether you set up the chairs, whether you help with a, uh, a community day, what? Why are you doing it? Here's the answer, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's really simple. We don't deviate from that. <laughs> that God may be glorified. And we want that for you in wherever you go to church. Okay, so this. The dominion uh, to Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, we get to verse 11. We'll start with verse 12 next week. Here's what I want to pray. I think, are we going to sing as, uh, he's, he's called me off because I went too long. Sorry about that. But I'm going to pray right now. And listen, if the Lord's tugging on your heart, he might be tugging on your heart about baptism. He might be tugging on your heart about salvation. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe he's tugging on your heart about baptism, the pledge that you want to follow the Lord to all, for all the world to know. He might be tugging on your heart because you've been hiding your gifts and not giving them to the body. We need all of you folks. 
This is little place, trust me. But anyway, wherever you serve, or, or maybe something else he's done. Maybe you've been a grumbler. Maybe you're not hospitable. Maybe you're scared. How about this one? Maybe you previously have been scared about the last days. But the Lord doesn't want you to be scared about it. So let's pray for all those things. Lord, thank you for these people and their hearts to know you and to come here this morning and to bless your holy name and to cry out to you, Lord, in song and uh, to remember you in communion. Thank you, Lord. And then also, Lord, we thank you for your word that's really piercing, at least for me. Lord, maybe there's people here who've not armed themselves to get rid of the sins in their lives. They're not even combating them. They're just saying they're Christians in name only. Maybe we need a fresh touch of your spirit here, Lord, to show us that we should combat these things with your, the mind of Christ at the forefront. Lord, help us to know whether we should be baptized or not. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, you should be baptized. Lord, help us to find our place in ministry so that we can serve the body and use our gifts. And Lord, as we move forward this week, we pray that you'd give this body of believers many divine appointments to share your love and your light so that many would come in your kingdom, not because of anything we've done, but because the hearts you've prepared, Lord. Lord, may there be revival here in our church that we'd mourn over our sins. And may there be a spiritual awakening up and down this river and in Pittsburgh and in this region and then the United States and all across the world, Lord, before you come back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.